How's it going everybody? You're listening to The Raven's Grove. I'm your host Dahi, and this is the first episode of our brand new segment, Inspirations, where I'll be talking about some of the real world inspirations behind some of the most famous franchises in fiction. For the first episode, I wanted to do something special, so today we're going to be talking about some, just some, of the inspirations behind the Avatar franchise, by which I mean Avatar The Last Airbender, and Avatar Legend of Korra, and the universe contained in that world. Now, a few dis- quick disclaimers before I begin. This segment is comprised of a combination of my own personal opinions and actual confirmed inspirations of some of my favourite franchises by the creators or people who have actually worked on these projects. If you're a hardcore fan of these franchises, please bear in mind that I love these franchises dearly and do not intend to insult them or disrespect them in any way. As such, if you have a problem with the topics that are brought up in this segment, please try and keep in mind that these are not just my own personal opinions, but these are also confirmed to be canon by the creators or by people who have actually worked on these projects. So it's not just me saying this. This is actually what is the real inspirations for these things as confirmed by people who have worked on it at a very close level. In addition, this episode of The Raven's Grove features spoilers for the following franchise, Avatar The Last Airbender, as well as the following trigger warnings, Imperialism mentions, Body Harm mentions, Physical Combat Related Bodily Trauma mentions, Weaponry mentions, Fantasy Combat mentions, Death mentions, War mentions, Racism mentions, and Politics mentions. So if any of those are in any way an issue for you, please give this episode a miss. Okay, now that's out of the way, let's get started. So... First off, let's talk about Avatar Last Airbender, and before anyone gets any ideas about blue people with ponytails, no, I'm not talking about the James Cameron film series. Avatar Last Airbender was an animated TV show that ran from 2005 to 2008, so technically it predates the James Cameron films by a good two years or more. Set in the fantasy world heavily inspired by Asian and Arctic cultures, some people in this universe are capable of telekinetically manipulating one of the four elements, by which I mean water, earth, fire, or air through a technique known as bending. The Avatar world has got four nations, the Water Tribes, who live at the North and South Poles, the Earth Kingdom, the largest in terms of geographical size, the Air Nomads, pacifistic people who live in floating monasteries, and the Fire Nation, who live on a series of islands. In addition to the regular benders who are only able to bend one element, every lifetime has the Avatar, a person who has the ability to bend all four elements, and there is only one Avatar per lifetime. The Avatar's job is to keep balance, not just between the four nations, but also between the human world and nature, and between the humans and the spirit world. Then, a hundred years before the start of the show, the Fire Nation began an imperialistic conquest of the world and attacked without mercy. The Air Nomads were the largest victims of this genocide, being almost entirely wiped out, but the Water Tribes also suffered greatly. The big mystery? The Avatar, the one who was meant to stop this kind of thing, vanished at the start of the invasion and hasn't been seen for over a hundred years. At the start of the show, we, the audience, learn that the Fire Lord, ruler of the Fire Nation, has nearly finished his conquest of the known world, and that many people believe that the Avatar's cycle of reincarnation was severed when the Fire Nation attacked. The first characters we meet are Katara. Uh, Katara is a 15-year-old waterbender from the South Pole, and her non-bender 16-year-old brother, Sokka. Katara is untrained as a waterbender from the start of the show, as the Fire Nation had brutally exterminated or captured every waterbender in the Southern War Tribe, taking them away to the Fire Nation, but she has a great degree of inherent talent. In the opening minutes of the first episode, Katara, angry at her brother's sexist comments, don't worry, he grows out of that, 
unconsciously uses her powers to cause water to blast open an iceberg. In doing so, the iceberg cracks open to reveal a gigantic sphere of ice, inside of which is a young boy. Katara and Sokka break open the sphere, and inside, the boy, seeming to be have been in cryo-sleep, wakes up. He reveals himself to be Aang, a 12-year-old airbender, possibly the last of his kind, though that will come later. And also trapped in cryo-sleep is, uh, in the iceberg is, with Aang is Aang's five-ton flying bison, Appa. However, the iceberg cracking open let loose a massive burst of light, and it caught the attention of Prince Zuko, the 16-year-old exiled son of the Fire Lord, whose return home is conditional on his capturing the Avatar. Bear in mind, up until this point, everyone thought that the Avatar was either dead or had been over 100 years old, so Zuko basically was sent out on an impossible task. Aang is introduced to Katara's tribe and learns that Katara is the only waterbender in the entire Southern Moor tribe. They, Aang and Katara, while penguin sledding, come across a 100-year-old derelict Fire Nation ship. Despite it being forbidden by the elders of Katara's tribe, they sneak on board to explore. Aang turns out to be completely unaware of the war, and Katara introduces that Aang has actually been frozen in the iceberg for over 100 years. However, during that exploring, they accidentally set off a booby trap, which releases flares signaling their location to Zuko. Zuko arrives at the Southern Moor tribe and fights Aang, who reveals himself to be dun, 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 the Avatar. Aang surrenders on the condition that Zuko lead the innocent people of the Southern Moor tribe alone. Zuko agrees, and Aang is taken captive. However, with the timely intervention of Katara and Sokka riding Appa, Aang breaks out of Fire Nation custody, and the three make their escape. Now, what I just described was the events of the first and second episode. It was a two-parter episode, and I honestly cannot recommend this franchise highly enough. It's just incredible in terms of storytelling, visual aesthetics, soundtrack, voice acting, animation, character design, pretty much everything. Heck, the only fault I have in this show is it's only 63 episodes long. That is an insane amount of lore and world-building that's gone into the show. Is Honestly, do yourself a favor and watch the show. It is absolutely amazing. It's on Paramount+. Plus. If you can get on DVD from your local library, I would highly recommend doing so. If you can't, well, I'm not going to advocate piracy because that'd be wrong, wink, wink. But seriously, get yourself a copy of this show if you can. It is an incredible show. So, now you have a basic idea of what the show is. Let's talk about some of the real-life inspirations behind the show. But before we start... I want to admit that to list all the real-world inspirations behind the show, it would take up at least a year's worth of episodes of this podcast. So this episode today is going to be the first of a few based on the inspirations behind the Avatar franchise. So today, I'm going to be focusing on the bending styles and the cultural basis behind the four nations in a general sense. I'm going to be going into some detail, but nowhere near in-depth. If you want in-depth and you're on Tumblr, I would highly recommend looking at the account Atla Culture, A-T-L-A Culture, all one word, all lowercase. They do an insane amount of detail onto the real-world inspirations behind every aspect of the Avatar franchise. It's absolutely breathtaking, the amount of detail and research they've done. So, in the creation process, Brian Konetsuko, I think that's how you pronounce it, and Michael Dante DiMartino, the creators of the Avatar franchise, knew that they weren't allowed to have graphic violence in the Nickelodeon show. Bear in mind, this show was aimed at kids and early teenagers, so they couldn't have real graphic violence on the Nickelodeon show. That would go against Nickelodeon's programming. So, they came up with the idea of, make the, with, of element bending instead of actual combat. They also want to make the bending style seem grounded in reality, so they consulted a guy, Sifu Kishu, 
who is a master, Sifu means teacher, I think. And, and basically, Sifu Kisu is a master in Northern Shaolin style of martial arts, but is also an expert in several other forms. Kisu would go on to develop the fighting styles for each of the four benders, drawing on real-world martial arts schools uh, that best match the ethos of those bending elements. So here's what Kisu decided on. First up, we have waterbending. Tai Chi forms the basis of waterbending. Inspiration was taken from the style's fluidity, connectivity, and adaptability, all of which became fundamental concepts for all three waterbending styles. I am not going to spoil what some of those are. You'd have to watch the show. But let's just say you've got regular waterbending and healing, and shall we say a deeply disturbing third kind. I will say no more. Kisu notes Tai Chi's softer style, characterized more by control than aggression. He's quoted as saying, Tai Chi is less about strength and more about alignment, body structure, breath, and visualization. In Tao's philosophy, uh, by the way, end quote, in Tao's philosophy, uh, water is also associated with yin, which shares many of the same characteristics. Earthbending. Hungar Kung Fu forms the basis of earthbending. Inspiration was taken from the style's low stances, rooted power, and pure strength. Hungar is known for strong stances and rooting to the ground, notes Kisu. He's quoted saying, Hungar is based on the movements of animals, particularly the tiger, which represents hard power, and the crane, which stands for soft power, end quote. Interestingly enough, one of the fandom's favorite characters, who is also one of my favorite characters, the blind 12-year-old earthbending master, Toph Bei Fong, is unique in her usage of Chu family, which, if I'm pronouncing this right, please forgive my pronunciation, is Zhujia, or Shugard, in a southern praying mantis style. I'm never going to try and pronounce the Chinese pronunciation of that. I can't speak Chinese. It's a style of Kung Fu which is opposed to Hunga style Kung Fu. Sifu Manuel Rodriguez, Manuel Rodriguez, a practitioner of this rest style, worked as a character model for Top's movements. The aggressive close-range Kisu and uh, Rodriguez, aggressive close-range style Kisu and Rodriguez thought would best suit the blind airbender. By the way, if you watch the show, Top's fighting style, you can easily tell it's completely unique. It's absolutely amazing. An interesting fact Southern Praying Mantis style is rumored to have been invented by a blind woman, which means it's perfect for Toph. So, next up we have firebending. The Northern Shaolin system forms the basis of firebending. In particular, Northern Shaolin highlighted fire as in the sense that the element has many manifestations. When controlled, it's one way, and when out of control, the, fire, the art becomes something completely different. Firebending features very powerful and dynamic footwork, arrow-like forward attacking techniques, Feather-like retreating techniques and it employs the, quote, light as a leaf, heavy as iron concept style of fighting. The style is Kishu's preferred style. He's said, he's quoted here as saying, it's a very strong dynamic style. It uses powerful hand and leg movements, and quote. Aggression and dynamism equate the style to the element of fire in Tower's thinking, which is Yang. The two characters most at odds throughout the series are, unsurprisingly, Katara and Zuko, who are practitioners of waterbending and firebending, respectively. Of course, yin and yang are not in opposition, they're in harmony, they're codependent, which may be a spoiler in and of itself, and I'll leave you up to you to watch the show and make up your own mind about that, folks, because, put it this way, if you look up Avatar on, say, Pinterest, on Tumblr, there used to be a huge split in the fandom between people who ship Katara with Aang and Katara with Zuko. I personally ship Katara with Aang because that's canon, but... Yeah, it's it's changed over recent years. Nowadays, people ship Zuko with Soka, 
And I personally, while I don't agree with that ship as an a uh, as a regular pairing, like um like in the canon universe, I'm all for it in the AU universes. So if you want to ship Suko and Sokka together, go right ahead. All right. So finally, we have Airbending. Bagua Zhang forms the base of airbending and utilizes light circle walking techniques and the quote eight trigram palm end quote. The fundamental concept of airbending is similar to Bagua Zhang in that a bender shifts and rotates their center in order to counteract resistance and attack. Kizu is said quote is saying Bagua fighters are known for moving in a circle and constantly spinning back and forth end quote. Ang's circular styles generate tornado-like force and demonstrate how the particular bending style, though peaceful-looking, can be one of the most powerful in all the four nations. So that's the basis, that's the bare bones of the bending styles. And in the show, they're absolutely incredible to watch. The artistry of the show is just amazing, especially when it comes to the bending. So I'd highly recommend looking it up. So, now that that's all done, let's discuss some of the main cultural inspirations of the four main nations in Avatar. Now, bear in mind, I'm not claiming that these are all of them, alright? I am I'm well aware that I would not have enough time in the podcast because I want to talk about other stuff other than Avatar The Last Airbender. And so, this is just the bare bones of the cultural inspirations for the main cultures, Okay, I will try and do more episodes on Avatar Last Airbender and Inspirations, but for now, these are just the the absolute barest of stuff that you need to do, and there's quite a lot, so bear with me. Alright, so, first up, we have the Water Tribes. The culture of the Water Tribes, as well as their location in the polar regions of the world, is primarily based on real-life Arctic cultures such as the Inuit, the Sireniki, and the Yupik, as well as Siberian cultures like the Yakuts, the Budyats, various Paleo-Siberians, and various Tungusic peoples like the Evenk. In addition, elements of their society draw from many other indigenous cultures such as Native Americans, Australian Aborigines, and Polynesian culture. Like all the other nations, the Water Tribes have strong influences from Chinese culture. There's a great deal of overlap between the southern and northern war tribes, but the former, the southern war tribe, is more influenced by Arctic cultures, whereas the northern war tribe is more influenced by Siberian cultures. The southern war tribe was formed by northern war tribe immigrants. This respect reflects the real-life relationship between the Siberian and Arctic populations, with Arctic populations deriving from ancient immigrants from Siberia. The spiritual practices of the war tribes draw inspiration from the moon spirits in from the chi- moon myths of the Chinese moon goddess Chang'e. Yue's appearance as the moon spirit is very similar to Chang'e, the traditional Chinese lunar goddess. Yue actually does mean moon in Mandarin Chinese. In addition, the concept of yin and yang is heavily based on Taoism. The prime example would be the spirit of the moon and the ocean, which one can't function without the other. The go with the flow aspects and attitudes of Taoism is perfectly represented by warbenders. In addition, the concept of arranged marriages was inspired by Chinese tradition. Traditional Chinese marriage is a ceremonial ritual within Chinese societies that involves a union between spouses, sometimes established by prearrangement within families, or between families, sorry. Uh, traditionally, the groom's family should present the betrothal or grand gift, which is various proposal gifts. The wooden doll used for healing practice in warbending is reminiscent of Chinese acupuncture statues, and the, north, the architecture in the northern Moor tribe appears to have been influenced by the traditional Harbin Ice International Ice and Snow Sculpture Festival. Aspects of Chinese culture are also evident, such as the round doors, which are often called moon gates. 
tribal chief's throne resembles a paifang, which is a traditional Chinese architectural arch. The city is decorated with hua biao, which is a type of Chinese ceremonial columns. Many people in the southern Mo tribe, though, they live in igloos, a dwelling commonly used in Inuit. Water tribe house interiors resemble the Mongolian yurt, or gur. Water tribe dishes include noodles, which can trade their origins back to China, and sea prunes are likely based on sea cucumbers, which are commonly consumed in Chinese cuisine. Water tribe clothing includes anoraks and mukluks, which often incorporate heavy furs and animal skins as protection against the cold. Katara's lighter clothing resembles a chongsam, which is a type of feminine dress of Han Chinese and Manchu origins, and also a Mongolian deal. And interestingly enough, Katara's iconic hair loopies are actually based on real-world traditional Inuit hairstyles. Those are not just made up. That is a legit hairstyle that is commonly found in traditional Inuit uh, civilized uh, Inuit areas. So yeah, they really did that well. In addition, both northern and southern Inuit war tribes rely heavily on hunting and fishing as a result means of survival, also borrowed from the Inuit. Water tribe ships distinctly resemble Polynesian catamarans, and war tribe warriors wear face paint in battle, something associated with Native Americans. Face painting is interpreted as strength in many indigenous cultures, such as African, Native American, Aboriginal Australian, and Southeast Asian tribes. Alright, so that's the, that's the water tribes, now let's move on to the Earth Kingdom. The architecture, clothing, and culture of the Earth Kingdom seems to be based primarily on China, as well as mul from multiple dynasties, no less, as well as from China's neighboring states, particularly sorry, its tributaries. The many tribes and towns throughout the Earth Kingdom can also resemble other cultures. Now, one thing I have to make very clear from the outset is that in terms of pure geographical range, the Earth Kingdom is extremely large and diverse, and it contains many cultures within itself, much like China. Earth Kingdom architecture has distinctive Chinese influences, and Boomy's making Boomy, one of my favorite characters, his attitude of doing nothing resembles the Taoist ideal of Wu Wei, proposed by the Chinese sage Lao Tzu as a method of doing something without direct action. In addition, Earth Kingdom cuisine is almost entirely based on Chinese cuisine. Examples of the Earth Kingdom and Chinese share that they're both sharing food is roast duck and juk. The Earth Kingdom clothing of different Earth Kingdom citizens resembles Chinese, Korean, and Japanese clothing. With the exception of the capital city of Ba Sing Se, the, the clothing is almost entirely based on pre-Manchu China. The clothing of the Bei Fong family, in particular, is largely inspired by Tang Dynasty clothing. Song and her mother wear the Hanbok, a type of traditional Korean clothing. Uh, the farming village that, they, that Song and her mother live in uh, also has Korean influences in its architecture. The Kyoshi Warriors, who are absolutely badass, their uniform is very similar to that worn by both Kabuki actors and geisha, with the green kimonos being traditionally inspired by Kabuki theatre. They also have serious influences from the samurai. The government of Ba Sing Se, the capital city of the Earth Kingdom, very similar to the Chinese government under Jin Yi Wei of the Ming Dynasty. The information control and propaganda is reminiscent of its Neapolis state, with total control of the populace through harsh laws and the secret police. The River Village and the Swaggy Swamp Tribe have Vietnamese influences of their architecture and clothing, but many Earth Kingdom citizens wear top knots, which originated in China and used to be a mandatory hairstyle for men of all social classes in pre-Qing China. They also have been prevalent in India, Japan, Korea, and Thailand. Earth Kingdom Army uniforms resemble ancient Chinese military uniforms, particularly that 
of the Song and Ming Dynasty, and the curved sword led by, wielded by the leader of the Zhang tribe resembles the Khopesh, which is a sword used by ancient Egyptians. It's a sickle sword that you might see in uh, stuff like the Mummy or Assassin's Creed Origins. And Kyushu Island, as I mentioned, is very, very much aesthetically influenced by Japan. The Kyushu warriors use face paint in a very iconic Japanese style, and in combat they make use of fans and of the katana, and their armor resembles the uh, resembles that the samurai, as I already said. Japanese architectural influences, such as prayer hand construction, are also reflected in Kyushu Island. Some of the Kyushu Islanders' clothing also resemble that of the Ainu people, who are the indigenous people of the northern Japanese archipelago. Kuei, the 52nd monarch of the Earth Kingdom, is very similar to the last emperor of China, Puyi. Not only is there similar in their name, similar in their names, but Kuei wears the same circular glasses as Puyi. Both rulers were kept ignorant of the state of the nation and had no real power. Kuei had previously never let Ba Sing Se, akin to how Puyi, up to a point, was always kept in the Forbidden City. Ba Sing Se, the capital of the Earth Kingdom, is based on ancient Chinese capitals such as Beijing, as the creators were inspired at the idea of an isolated city and draws particular influences from China's Qing Dynasty. The city of Ba Sing Se is actually based on the historical design of Beijing, which is organized into rings. The social, the lower social classes of Beijing lived in the outer rings, and the higher social classes lived in the inner rings, with the Forbidden City located in the center of all the rings. The royal palace of Ba Sing Se is, all, is largely based on the Forbidden City. It has very similar architecture, but the Earth Kingdom royal palace in compound is circular, not square, like in the Forbidden City. The lower ring of Ba Sing Se is visually based on many towns and marketplaces in the central Jiangxi province. More often found in Ba Sing Se is a Chinese Q hairstyle. It can, it can be worn by all men with no social distinction. Such practice ma- parallels the Manchu Q forced on the Han population of China after 1644. The, head, the dresses and headpieces of upper-class women in Ba Sing Se is also based on the fashion of Manchu women. Now, all the Ba Sing Se outfits are inspired by Qing Dynasty dress. For example, the haiku girls wear uh, headpieces wear reminiscent of those worn by Qing Dynasty court ladies, and Earth King Kuei wears in clothing similar to that of Qing Dynasty emperors, indicative of the style exhibited in famous painting by the Sh- of the Shangfeng Emperor. The Dai Li, I won't go into too much detail about them because that's a whole topic in and of themselves, but the Dai Li resemble and are named after the leader of the Chinese National Secret Police, General Dai Li of the Kuomintang. The uniform is actually similar to that of the Qing Imperial Guards, as reminiscent of those worn by scholar officials or mandarins of Qing China. The Dai Li wear conical-shaped hats similar to those worn by Qing mandarins. Their square-shaped embroidery with the Earth Kingdom symbol resembles the mandarin square worn by Chinese Ming and Qing officials. The outer wall of Ba Sing Se is design and scale is actually based on the Great Wall of China, except that the outer wall is a defensive ring, unlike the Great Wall, which was a line of defense. The walls of Ba Sing Se are actually much, much taller than the Great Wall of China in real life, as the creators wanted it to feel just incredibly massive. Just as the Great Wall is visible from our space in our world, the Great Walls of Ba Sing Se are always drawn into maps of the Earth Kingdom. They are that huge. Palanquins used by the Earth King are also used by, were also used in China by the upper classes. One particularly large and luxurious type of palanquin was reserved for the Emperor. 
Similar to how the Dai Li have the similar the secret base to brainwash political prisoners and potential troublemakers beneath Lake Laogai, in China, Laogai refers to a system of prison camps that began under Mao Zedong to uh, exterminate or re-educate political prisoners under the communist regime, which sadly still operate today. The extent of monitoring of all citizens, immigrants, and tourists is extremely similar to how the government of North Korea monitors its people with quote-unquote guides being sent to monitor all tourists and feed them propaganda. Alright, so, now that we've covered War Tribes and Earth Kingdom, let's move on to the so-called bad guys of the Avatar universe, the Fire Nation. Now, bear in mind, the Fire Nation is one of the bad guys in Avatar Last Airbender. It's complicated. Alright, so, the culture of the Fire Nation, primarily inspired by East, South, and Southeast Asia. Uh, some of its culture also draws influence from Mesoamerican civilizations such as the Mayan and the Aztecs, while its, its geography is actually drawn from volcanic islands, including Iceland, Hawaii, and the Polynesian Islands. The topography of the, the Fire Nation draws most of its influence from Iceland, with photographs of the nation being used directly to, in designing the geography of the nation. In addition, the location uh, of being a, ser a series of volcanic islands similar, is very similar to a number of real-world locations, such as Hawaii, Hawaii, the Polynesian Islands, and New Zealand. One of the central conce concepts of uh, uh, Fire Nation is Confucianism is Shao Shuen, or filial piety which is defined as the virtue of being de of deference to one's elders. This is best represented in, in the Avatar universe as Zuko's ever-loyal ideal to first please his father, and then later his uncle. Now, I'm not going to go into that. That would spoil Zuko's whole arc. But let's just say that Zuko's uncle Iroh, hands down my favorite character in the entire show. He is an amazing character. He was played by a guy called Mako, uh, Makoto Iwamatsu, who was the, actually, he was an incredible Japanese voice actor, and he voiced Iroh up until the middle of the second season, then he died of esophageal cancer, and then they had to, I think it was Greg Baldwin, who took over as the, uh, the remaining seasons, but honestly, Iroh is my favorite character in the Avatar universe, and you ask any Avatar fan, they'll say very similar reasoning for that. Anyway, the architecture of the Fire Nation draws influences from many other cultures, but is predominantly similar to Chinese and Southeast Asian architecture, and the, Chinese, the Fire Nation Royal Palace draws its inspiration from Egyptian and Chinese architecture. The Fire Nation capital, however, greatly influenced by these imperial cities of the Han Dynasty, and the Crescent Island Fire Temple is a near-direct replica of Chinese-style pagodas. Ember Island in architecture it most commonly resembles that of Southeast Asian resorts, but the temperature of the, the architecture of the Banti is spelled B-H-A-N-T-I, I hope I pronounced that right, resembles Southeast Asian architecture. The Banti temple's architecture can be incomparable to the Pagan Kingdom hollow temples in the Mandalay region of Burma. Uh, these golden statue is based on Southeast Asian figures of the Buddha in the Earth Witness position, though the right hand is unfortunately in the wrong position in the show. Fire Nation attire often resembles Han Dynasty Chinese clothing. Members of the royal family and the nobility are oftentimes depicted wearing a Changshan. Changshan, sorry, I um, like I said, I don't speak Chinese. Uh, the clothing of Ember Island closely resembles traditional, traditional Thai clothing. The 
military uniforms of the Fire Nation are clearly based on those of ancient Chinese militaries, as are many of the weapons. Fire Nation cuisine closely mirrors Sichuan cuisine for its spiciness, red colors, and large quantities of meat. In Fire Nation royal weddings, the bride has a similar style of hair to ones worn by Korean queens. In addition, the cutting off of the top knots done by Zuru, Zuka, and Iro symbolize their separation from their family and their nation, a practice that did actually occur in ancient East Asia. The Agni Kai. Now, I could go on about the Agni Kai. It's a major plot point in the Avatar of the Universe. It's basically a form of honor duel, which is commonly, stuff like this, are commonly seen in warrior societies in South Asia, particularly South India and Sri Lanka. Agni Kai in the Avatar Universe literally translates to duel of fire or fire quarrel. The creators of Avatar say that it's a practice of the Fire Nation for potential rulers to have to, quote, prove their worth, end quote, through difficult challenges, and this is a practice in many warrior cultures. Palanquins, uh, used by members of the Fire Nation royal family, were also used in China by members of the upper class. We've already talked about that with regards to the Earth Kingdom. So, yeah. Uh, Fire Nation propaganda. Now, this is one of the more, in my opinion, creepy aspects of the show, because it actually mirrors real-world stuff what actually happens fire nation propaganda justifying its imperialism is also very similar to that of japan during world war ii as the japanese empire uh, used an ideological contract i'm not going to try to pronounce it the english translation of it is the great east asia prosperity sphere which basically was made to justify invading china and conquering the south pacific just as in the show, the Fire Nation has invaded the Earth Kingdom and the War Tribes and pretty much wiped out the Air Nomads. Now, some of the uh, bounty hunters and the Rough Runners actually have Mongolian names. During a confrontation, a, work of, a group of workers in Jonduri attempted to intimidate the foes of facial expressions, reminiscent of both the Pukana and Huetero. I hope I pronounced that right. Expressions you know, typically used in traditional Maori dances. Now, like I said, I don't speak Maori, alright? I am Celtic to the core, so I hope I pronounced that right. If you are listening in New Zealand and you speak Māori, I'm so sorry if I got that wrong. I mean, no disrespect by that. Some warriors, some warriors themselves, also share qualities of the Mayan and Aztec cultures of Central America, who were particularly famous as sun worshippers. The sun warriors compound includes buildings inspired by Hindu and Buddhist architecture. This architecture is found in Southeast Asian cultures, such as the Kandi Suku and Angkor Wat. Uh, the Sun Warrior City is based on step pyramid style ziggurats that exist in both Mesoamerican architect architecture and also in Mesopotamia. Mesopotamian cultures are stuff like Babylon, uh, the uh, the Great Death Pit of Ur, that kind of thing. If you know archaeology, you'll know Mesopotamia. Uh, the Sun Warrior's dress is reminiscent of traditional East Southeast Asian head warrior dress. Which is particularly the headdresses which resemble the Iban feather headdress. So that is all for the Fire Nation. So let's talk about the Air Nomads. Alright. So the Air Nomads are based primarily on Tibetan, Bhutanese, Nepalese, and other Himalayan cultures, as well as Shaolin Buddhism, Sri Lankan Buddhism, and some early Mongolian schools of Buddhism. Other main influences drawn from Hinduism, notably the Seven Chakras. Many Buddhist and Hindu groups practice vegetarianism, which is a trademark of air nomad culture. Now, notably, this did not apply to Tibetan Buddhism, which was rarely historically vegetarian, which I actually did not know until researching this podcast. The air nomads were a monastic culture. Their bald heads, clothing, and meditation practices 
closely parallel real-world Buddhist monks. And all air nomads grew up to become monks or nuns. The air nomads live in sex-segregated communities reflecting the real-world monastic traditions of Buddhists. However, the air nomads do not celebrate practice celibacy like actual Buddhist monks, despite the sex segregation. Lay people in air nomad culture do not exist, unlike in real-world Buddhist nations. Tibetans use a set of toys to find the next Dalai Lama, which the air nomads also use when looking for the next avatar. Aang's mentor was named Monk Yatsu, and spoiler alert, Aang's son Tenzin is actually named after the 14th Dalai Lama, the man called Tenzin Gyatso, who is the current Dalai Lama, which for me is a really awesome nod to him. Aang's clothing in season 1 and 2 closely resembled the saffron robes of Shaolin monks. These were in turn based on the robes of Buddhist monks who had visited from India. Endomad culture includes a state of numerology, which mirrors that of Chinese numerology. The, air, the architecture of the air temples resembles real-world brick pagodas built in the famous pagoda forest of the Shaolin Temple in China. According to the official art book, which I actually borrowed from the local library to specifically research this podcast, the Bhutanese monasteries were the primary inspiration for the Western Air Temple. The style of building for these monasteries was used, formerly known as Zong architecture. That's D-Z-O-N-G architecture. I hope I pronounced that right. Lachima's Peak contains a small room carved out of the rock itself, which holds an altar dedicated to Guru Lachima, as well as several statues inside niches. This was actually inspired by a similarly fashioned room in Pado Takt uh, Sang, I hope that pronounced that right, which is also known as Tiger's Nest, a Buddhist monastery in the Himalayan country of Bhutan. In Season 3, Aang wears clothing similar to that of the Dalai Lama. In Buddhist tradition, the right arm of the Dalai Lama is always kept uncovered. Monk Gyatso and Aang also use airbending to lightheartedly make cakes. In Tibetan Buddhism, Gator Ma cakes are uh, sacrificial cakes used in ceremonies and play an important role in Tibetan culture. However, these cakes were usually used to appease the more wrathful of Buddhist deities. So basically, you know a fair bit about the inspirations behind a lot of the cultures and behind the airbending you've heard me give a moment synopsis of the first two part episode honestly i cannot recommend the series highly enough it actually has really changed my worldview in a lot of ways and i would highly recommend that you give it a try is an amazing series with some absolutely incredible world building and the effort and passion that's gone into the show it's just amazing it really is so give it a try Anyway, that's all for today, folks. Thanks for listening to Ravens Grove. I've been Dahi. You've been awesome. I'll talk to you in the next episode. See ya.